Hello and welcome to Dyslexia Explored. I'm Darius Nomderon, your host, and actually today I'm going to be your guest as well, the guest. I'm going to share my dyslexia assessment story and share a little bit about what life was like before it, why I got the assessment, and how my life shifted very subtly but very significantly because of that test and three of the things that the assessor shared with me as very small points but became like seeds of wisdom that kind of grew all the way through the next 10 years, 13 years now, uh, and are even affecting my business within Bullet Map Academy 13 years since. So I've got a big debt of gratitude to share with her. In fact, I remember quite clearly at the time thinking that this assessment was a rather indulgent expenditure of money on myself. Uh, but it actually ended up being an investment, you know. It, it ended up being a, a very significant investment in my education in my finances, in fact. I, it's been paid back many times over because of the efficiencies that it's been given, given to me in my work. I've started to understand the way my mind works better and how to work better and more effectively. And so I want to share uh, some of those experiences with you today. So let's go back to the beginning. A number of years ago, I was a successful property investor. I'd made a decent amount of money. I was making a decent amount of money. I had uh, a property business and I had a team that was uh, running quite a bit of it. And so I thought to myself, I would really love to go back to university and learn for learning's sake. Now, Many of you might understand this, you know, I got a law degree when I was in my 20s at Edinburgh University. I got really good grades at school. I felt like I should, my mum said, you shouldn't waste them, you should use them on something like law or accounting or something like that. And so I ended up doing a law degree. I crashed and burned in my third year honours and ended up having to leave the degree go and do joinery instead, a practical skill, because that's what I really love doing, practical skills. And then I ended up coming back and finishing my degree. But in order to do so, I had to learn a different way of studying. And I learned how to mind map at that stage. And it really helped me in my degree. Anyway, but the problem was when I was at university the first time, I was there to get the degree not to get the learning, if I was really honest with myself. I was there to get the grade. I was there to get the diploma. I was there to make my mother happy. I was there to make the other people around me happy because I didn't really know what I wanted with my life. But when I was 35, I decided I want to go back to university and just enjoy learning a subject that I choose for myself. So that's what I did. I could afford it. So I went to university. I got accepted. It was in Glasgow. And I approached them and I said, you know, I'm really not very good at writing essays in exams. And my spelling's terrible and so on. Uh, do you get to type in the exams nowadays? You know, how it's the 21st century and everyone's got computers and all that. And they looked at me and said, no, everyone writes their exams. And I'm like, really? This is the 21st century. Why is that? And they said, well, that's just the way it is. You write your exam and you get marked just like the old days. I was like, oh gosh, could I use a computer please? And they said, sorry, you can't unless you're dyslexic. And I said, really? If you're dyslexic, you get to use the computer? She said, well, there's a test. If you pass the test and you're dyslexic, then you get to use a computer. And I thought, well, I'll try this dyslexia test because I thought maybe I was mildly dyslexic. Maybe. Now, I had difficulties learning to read at school. I was a pretty much a failure all the way through school until I was about 14, 15, and I learned how to play the game. And then, but the thing is, I'd never seen letters jump up and down. 
you know, letter stayed still. And I could read, I could write, I could... So I was like, I'm not really dyslexic. But she said, well, even if you're mildly dyslexic, you get to do it. I said, sure, I'll do this test. And she said, well, it'll cost you £500. Well, it was actually about 420 And I was like, £420 to do this test? And uh, I thought, well, I've got the money. You know, it'll save me lots of time and stress. We'll see, you know. And I was kind of like, maybe I'm mildly dyslexic. So I went to get this test done. Now, it's three hours long. And now Deb was asking me, why did I get the test and what effect did it have on me? Now, right up to the point of having the test, I'll be honest with you. I, th- I thought, I just want to type. I just want to enjoy learning and not be stressed out by the whole writing essay thing. I just want to type. I just wanted to learn. That's all I wanted. I didn't want other stuff to get in the way. So I thought, you know, I might be mildly dyslexic, big deal, whatever. It's a box ticking exercise. So I went in and I got my assessor assessment done. And I have to say, Janet Allen was absolutely incredible. And I've interviewed many other people who have had an assessment done in their adulthood. In fact, if you go to the previous episode where a, dyslex- a dentist got a dyslexia test done, Pete, the the dyslexic dentist. We interviewed him for the day before his assessment and the day after. We did a split podcast on how he's feeling before and how he's feeling afterwards. And I could so emphasize with him. And I won't steal his thunder because that's a great episode. One of our most popular episodes on Dyslexia Explored. But I thought I was wasting her time. And probably wasting my time. And probably wasting my money as well. But I had a bit of money to burn. So I wanted to just concentrate on learning. So I got the test done. She gave me all these puzzles to do. And I started ending up doing these puzzles. These little flip things and arranging things and intelligence tests. And I absolutely adored it. And she ended up having to un open up new packets of her intelligence test that she'd never opened up before. She said, how are you doing this so fast? I was like, I don't know, it's just fun. And so we went through this test and she got me to read a little comprehension. And you know these tests you get at school where there's a little story, you read the little story, like when you're nine, ten years old, and then there's questions at the end to make sure that you actually read the story. And so you answer the questions and it proves you've read the story. Well, that's what this test was like. Ten questions. I got to question number four, and then I thought, I said to Janet, I said, look, uh, it says, where did the child, what did the child do beside the lake? And I said, There wasn't a lake in this story. So is this like a trick question? What do I do? And she said, I can't tell you, but it's not a trick question. You have to answer all the questions in your own time. I said, oh, can I read the story again, please? She said, no, sorry, you can't read the story again. (laughs) And then uh, she said, just try your best. I'm like, try my best? This is like an eight-year-old story. Anyway, I left it blank. And I had to leave two others blank, two out of the ten blank. Now, I've got a law degree. You know, I've read case law. I've answered contract law questions and passed and got into honors. And, and, and what I was shocked at when I looked at the questions and I got to answer the questions and I looked at the original story, I said, I reread it and I'd missed some of the silliest little details in the story. Well, at the end of the assessment, I said to her, so am I dyslexic? And she said, yes, you are dyslexic. And I said, really? And she said, yes. And I said, well, I always thought I might be mildly dyslexic. And she said, Darius, you're not mildly dyslexic. You're moderately dyslexic. And so she showed me my numbers. She showed me the number of my IQ. She showed me the number of my processing speed. And she showed me the number of my working memory. I've still got the document. I've still got the numbers. And she said, can you see the difference between your IQ and your processing speed? And I said, yes. And she said, they should be roughly the same. But right now, your processing speed is way lower as a percentage of your IQ. Oh, right. Okay. Interesting. 
you know, gobbledygook from a psychologist. Fine. And she said, see your working memory here. That's way lower than it should be as well. It should be up at your IQ level. They should all be roughly equal. And because there's a difference, it means you're dyslexic. And I was like, right, okay. And I said, but the thing is, I can read. I'm fine. She said, dyslexia doesn't just affect your reading. That's why your writing's so bad. That's why you find your spelling and so on. We'd been through all of this. And I said, really? And that was when she shared three things with me that seemed so insignificant at the time, but have become very significant for me over my, when I was at the university the second time, and also when I did my business for the next 10 years, and it's also been significant for my child, children, and also for the students I now teach in Bullet Map Academy. Now, when I share them with you, they're not going to be earth shattering, but I want to show you how these seeds of wisdom can grow into significant benefits. So here's number one. So number one was to do with the comprehension test. I said to her, so am I really missing certain bits of, you know, what I'm reading? And she said, yes, you are. And the funny thing was, she allowed me to read that one page of a story three times. She said, you can read this story as many times as you like. You can read it as slow as you like, as fast as you like, as many times as you like. But once you start the questions, you're not allowed to go back and look at the story. I thought, fine, I'll read it three times. I had missed two key points. And I said to her, why did I miss those two key points? And she said, Darius, it's to do with your working memory. What's happening is you've taken in some key bits of information. And although you've read the, the next sentence, the next detail, your brain is holding on to the previous bits of information and skipping the next bit that it thinks is not worth remembering because you've got a limited working memory. And so you kept all the important bits so you thought and you left out the details. Now, sometimes those details are important. And if you're doing an academic subject, you need to be aware that some of those details are important and you can't just go and do the usual dyslexic thing, which is to join the dots and, and fill in the gaps. And sometimes you can make the filling the gaps work and sometimes it doesn't work and you guess it wrong. And so we're great extrapolators of information. It's the way our brains are designed. So I said, what do I do? And she said, well, what you do is you read with your finger and you read with a pen. And when you get to a keyword, you underline it. And then you keep reading and you underline another keyword. And you make sure you underline at least one keyword per sentence. And if you do that, when you miss a sentence, you realize your working memory has got overloaded and has not actually taken in that sentence and you or paragraph. And you can wake yourself up and say, have I really understood that? And you can make your brain log that information by underlining it. So I did that in my uh, university course, and it made a huge difference to my comprehension. And I have now started to teach children how to do this. And you would be surprised how much a child's reading comprehension increases when they underline a few key words. It seems so trivial, but there are two things happening. The pen allows your brain to track the sentence and not jump back on words so much because dyslexic thinkers do that a lot. And secondly, identify keywords, empty your working memory down on the page. It's like you're taking notes on the page. So that's number one. Number two was, she said to me, Darius, you need to learn how to mind map. And I said to her, it's funny you say that because I learned how to mind map 20 years ago. And she said, oh, that's great. And I showed her some of my folders from university and she said, that's some pretty good mind mapping. And that's probably why you managed to get through your law degree and through being a teacher at school because you mapped it out. It's very important that you learn how to do this well and keep doing it. Now, 
The funny thing there was that I had a love-hate relationship with mind mapping. And sometimes I still do, to be honest. I teach people mind mapping. But there are some times where I think to myself, I don't want to take notes. I just want to listen to this. Or I just want to get straight into writing the essay out. After what she said, I found myself sometimes not mind mapping things and reflecting on it in the moment. For example, I remember very vividly, I was in the middle of writing an essay for an assignment and the deadline was like, you know, the next morning. I had only another six to eight hours, ten hours of work in me to achieve it. And I'd written this essay and it was about six to eight pages long. It was already two pages longer than it should be and I was only halfway through saying what I should say in that essay to cover everything I needed to be to do. And I was like, oh my goodness, how am I going to do this? And I typed out this essay, all these paragraphs, and I thought to myself, do you know what? I don't actually have an essay outlined for this. I'm just doing it from my mind. This could be my dyslexia. Maybe I should map it out. Maybe I should read through my own essay and map out my own essay to see what structure there is and rearrange it and try and condense it. That's exactly what I did. And do you know what? It accelerated my learning no end. I ended up realizing what my pattern was, where I'd gone wrong, where I had to move things. I redrew it, redrew it, and I got the outline. And then I just typed it straight from the branches of my outline map. And I ended up having a succinct essay that was less than five pages long. And I got like 80% for it. And I was like, oh my goodness me, this mind mapping thing actually really does work. Now I knew it worked, but do you know what it's like? Sometimes you know something kind of works well for you, but then when you put it to the test, you realize, wow, how much it works for you. And at that point, I then started to realize I need to get quite serious about the techniques I use to work with my dyslexic mind. And so I did. And I started to be much more systematic about my mind mapping. And I actually developed a mind mapping system where I, I flash mapped my maps for an exam and I learned how to walk straight into an exam. And the moment they said you may begin, I would ask for a blank sheet of paper because I learned you're allowed to do that. And then I would just redraw my whole mind map down onto my bit of paper. I call it a flash map. I just flash draw it down out of my memory. And I didn't realize it at the time, but that's what I, what I basically was doing was emptying my working memory down onto the paper. And it meant I had extra brain capacity for the questions because I had the answers already locked down on the piece of paper. So that's number two. I realized I had to organize my ideas visually and take it seriously. So number three, the, the next little uh, throwaway kind of tip she gave me, I have to kind of break this to you, you know, because she explained the IQ thing. I'm not going to tell you what my IQ is. People shouldn't really tell people what their IQs are. Uh, I'm going to avoid doing that. But what happened was she said, here's your IQ. But what's happening is you're only operating at this lower level, it's still a high level of IQ, but you're not operating to your full level of intelligence. And that was one of the problems I had with the test. I said, so, okay, so my processing speed and working memory is down at average. Why does that make me dyslexic? And she said, because you're not being able to express your full intelligence. And one of the purposes of an academic institution and of a business is to let a person fully express their abilities. And that way they add the most value they can to the education or the business. So that's why this is quite important. Right now, you are allowing information to go into one ear and bouncing over the top of your head and out the other. And it's not getting into your head. Now you have the intelligence to process it to a high level, but you're not feeding your mind with enough information to process. So you're kind of starving your mind, but you think you're reading lots of stuff, but you're starving your mind. And I said, really? So what, what should I do? 
And she said, well, imagine your mind is like a letterbox instead of a door. You've got an open mind, but it's not an open door. It's an open letterbox. So you have to break down information to small chunks and put it through the letterbox. And you can't just force huge pallet loads of information through that door. You have to piece by piece let it in. I know it's a bit more awkward. I know it's harder, but you have to be patient with yourself and allow yourself to sort of eat in bite-sized chunks, you know? And that's what I took away from that. Now, what that ended up doing for me was I started to be a lot more aware of when I was kind of blanking out on information. And I realized that I can I can consume huge amounts of information at once as long as I'm taking notes. If I'm not taking notes, it's like it's not being pulled into bite-sized chunks and put through the letterbox. And I do this whether I'm listening to a talk, whether I'm listening to my wife talking about uh, a holiday plan. I go to the whiteboard, I start mapping it out or just doing some bullet points. I have to break it down into bite-sized chunks. And this has developed into a discipline where I cannot afford to lose the valuable information that I'm spending my time on and my mind on and just allow it to just float out through my mind. I have to lock it down in bite-sized information. So that was the third big thing that I took away from that. That was quite a lot to share with you in one go. And uh, there's a lot more to what I learned from that dyslexia assessment and the ripple effects of it since then. But there was another moment after that dyslexia assessment. I would say maybe 10 years later, maybe about seven years ago, when my daughter started to show signs of dyslexia, grade A student until she was about 14 and she started to get B's, C's, and she got one D. Now, we're not the type of parents who are very, you know, high pressure. I had that when I was a child. You know, you need to get the best grades in the class. And I got some of the best grades in the whole school and some of the best grades in the country just to sort of honor my parents through brute force and intelligence um, and technique. But I didn't really learn that much. And I didn't find it that satisfying. So when my child was having difficulties like that, I said to her, look, you know, at the end of the day, you know, your your journey is way bigger than, than the exams you're going to get. But for her, it was actually quite important. So I thought, well, if this is important to you, as long as you're not doing it out of parent pressure, we'll help you achieve whatever grades you want to achieve. Well, that's when we realized dyslexia in action. <laughs> in a young person, just could not believe it. Once you start noticing the signs, you start realizing how dyslexia starts affecting your um, your writing, how it affects your reading, how it affects your memory, how it affects your essays and comprehension and your actual exam results negatively, and how it affects your organization. We saw all in our child, and I started to see it in myself. And that was when I decided, I I asked myself a question. I thought to myself, if I know I'm dyslexic, could I learn something from other people who are dyslexic that might help me? Now, that might seem like a bit of an obvious answer, yes. But I have to be honest with you. There sometimes is a sense of pride where you're kind of like, no, I'm just going to manage this myself. I'm just going to go and invent, reinvent the wheel. I'm just going to go and do it on my own. And I, I, I sometimes wonder if that's something that somehow is one of the side effects of being dyslexic in a school system in an oblique kind of way. You feel like you should be able to do everything because you realize you can't do anything right. You can't please anyone. You're a continual disappointment. And I was a continual disappointment to my teachers, to my parents, to the people around about me. And I really didn't like being a continual disappointment. Now, when I asked that question, something happened. I started to think to myself, 
Maybe Richard Branson's got something to teach me. He's dyslexic. Maybe this other person's got something to teach me. And I started to watch videos about them. I started to read some books about them. And do you know what I learned from Richard Branson is he took notes. He's kind of obsessive about taking notes. You don't hear it said, but if you listen to him carefully, when he talks about dyslexia, he keeps saying, I carry a notebook everywhere with me and I write everything down I need to that's important. And that really struck me. And I thought, I'm dyslexic as well. And I noticed the difference when I take notes and when I don't. It's a bit unconscious, but when you become conscious of it, you start taking more notice. Then I read this book called Dyslexic Advantage. I have to say, it kind of shook me about how much dyslexia can affect you and how beneficial it is without you realizing. And I think I'm going to stop it there because the the story from there is another story entirely where next part of the story is how I helped my child through the dyslexia years. And then the next part again is how I helped I'm helping children now and, and my mission is to help 1 million dyslexic children mind map by the year 2030. And I don't just mean a million views on YouTube or whatever. I want actual maps, their first map. And in fact, that, that journey took me to realizing why dyslexic children don't like mind mapping. And it really shocked me. So many children had a negative reaction to mind mapping, especially creative children and dyslexic children. And I'm like, that's crazy because it's one of the most beneficial things they could possibly do. But something was going wrong with the way they were being taught. And I started to teach children how to do this and adults. And then I discovered what it was that was going wrong. And uh, that led me to developing the bullet map system, which is a slightly different but crucially different way of mind mapping for dyslexia, which I'll tell you in another podcast episode. But let's round off this episode uh, before we go to questions with parents. So the reason I got the dyslexia assessment was actually I wasn't really that serious about discovering whether I was dyslexic or not. I thought pretty much it was irrelevant. I thought it was a box ticking exercise, to be honest. I thought it was a waste of money. But, you know, I had the money. I was making quite a lot of money at that time. I don't make that much money anymore, but I'm much more satisfied. But it ended up being a remarkable benefit to me in an unexpected way. Those three hours, I discovered my intelligence. I discovered the kind of intelligences that I have that I'm good at. I got a sense of awareness of where my strengths and weaknesses lie. I found solutions and hints and tips where which I should value and what I should ignore. And so the consequences have been very significant. I have to say it's probably saved me hundreds, tens of thousands of pounds worth of wasted energy, time and resources since then because I've found techniques that made me more effective in my business, in my work, in my studies and made me much happier as a person in fact. Do I identify as a dyslexic person? Is that a core part of my being? No, not really. I am. It's kind of like saying I'm short-sighted. Is that a big part of my being? No but it is an important factor in my life. I need to wear glasses or get laser eye treatment. I highly recommend laser eye treatment. I got it done and dusted. Now, I regard mind mapping now as my spectacles of my mind, a, a, a tool that allows me to focus my mind and keep my thoughts in focus when without it, they get all muddled and all over the shop. And it's helped me with understand my child and other people's children. And I hope it's helped you here in Dyslexia Explored, which is part of the reason why we do these podcasts, to hear people's different stories, answering the same questions, and hearing such remarkably different journeys that people have taken. So 
I'll maybe do a few more parts of this story in the future, but I think we'll call it a, a day there and go to questions. So Deb and Rebecca are with me live on YouTube, on, on uh, Zoom at the moment, and we've got people watching on Facebook. So if you're on Facebook, just start asking any questions you've got, and then we'll come to you and answer your questions. So first of all, can I go to Deb, who originally asked if I could do this podcast? Deb. Sure. So, you know, I, I'm semi-retired homeschooling. <laughs> so I'm at an age where I don't know that I'll go back to work at this point. So for me, I, I don't see a point in getting the dyslexia assessment. And I, like I mentioned yesterday, that there's also that fear to like, well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not as intelligent <laughs> as I thought I was, you know, those little voices in your head. But, um, but what I got out of today is that I've been dabbling with mind mapping and I absolutely need to do it because my life right now is supporting my son and, and teaching him and that is my job and I need to do a better job and I need to be more organized. And on the, the weeks that I do mind map, what I need to do for the week, I am bang on, spot on. <laughs> and the weeks that I don't, I'm just like, okay, I, oh, I forgot to do that. Oh, wait, yep, I need to do that. And I just end up wasting so much time. So I think just focusing on where I am right now, this is my job, this is important. And this would be beneficial for me. And I really do need to learn it for myself and for my son. And I think the other thing that's that's hard about this is, you know, I discovered I was dyslexic two years ago when we discovered Jack was dyslexic. So there's so much emotion that comes with that that I haven't been able to process because I'm helping him. <laughs> so like okay at some point maybe I'll get there but right now I've got to this is crucial and I've got to help him so I think that's why sometimes these talks are emotional for me because I haven't been able to process my own dyslexia. Well it's interesting we did a podcast episode with John Hicks he's a dyslexia blogger in the UK a uh, useful uh, website to go to and a, and a really interesting podcast we did put it in the show notes he talked about his daughter's asse assessment and actually the effects, the consequences of it were much more dramatic for him than they were for his daughter because that's when he realized he was probably dyslexic as well, although he didn't get a test. And it brought back a lot of suppressed memories from childhood. And, you know, dealing with suppressed memories is not fun. And he, had, he talks about how he went through a little bit of depression in that stage and, and dealt with that. And his big thing is dealing with the self-esteem issues that dyslexia can bring to children. And there's without doubt, I'd say pretty much every single child who has dyslexia in school that is unidentified has unnecessary self-esteem issues because their confidence just gets knocked. They literally feel that they're stupider than they are because the school system makes them feel that way. So, yes, it does bring up a lot of emotions, and I find it happen with me sometimes too. But I think the important takeaway here is you might be thinking, oh, I need to go away and get an assessment done. And I'm not selling an assessment service or anything like that. You might be thinking that. Uh, I'm promoting it so strongly here. But actually, should you get an assessment? Maybe not. What the message that I think is decide whether you're dyslexic or not, because you can, you can see enough indicators that you're dyslexic and then decide to take it seriously that you're going to actually pursue things that help you and, and think effectively rather than just operating with an unnecessary limp through life. And I think that's the key thing that woke me up to say, gosh, this dyslexia thing just isn't about reading and jumbling letters and jumping letters. Actually, only one or two percent of all dyslexics ever see letters jump up and down. You speak to an experienced assessor, many of them will say, most of the children that I assess as dyslexic see letters stay perfectly stationary on the paper, but they're still dyslexic. 
because it's only one of about a hundred different signs of dyslexia. So I think that's one of the biggest takeaways. If you think you're mildly dyslexic, you're probably moderately dyslexic and you need to take it seriously, even as an adult, as you've just said, Deb. Did you, um, since you had your assessment, well, you had children at that time, but it seems like maybe you were able to kind of process it and think about it a little bit before your daughter showed signs, but I'm, I'm sure then it was a whole other type of processing once you saw what she was going through. And Well, actually, do you know what? We, when my daughter, my daughter got assessed before me and I didn't take much attention to it, to be quite honest. I was a very busy dad, thought, fine, the teachers will sort it out. You know, we did the maths. We had a, a small school with a teacher with specialism in special education. She identified that she's probably dyslexic, got the assessment done, need to do X, Y, and Z, boom, done, schools covered it, no problem. And it was only later that I got mine done and I realized how much it was affecting me as an adult in university. And I'd actually, to be honest, I didn't fully process it all until my second daughter got identified when she was 14. And I noticed the difference between a child being identified when they're like seven compared to a child being identified when they're 14. And that's when it really hit me. That's when you start seeing, gosh, the utter disorganization, the utter mayhem, the utter confusion, the the huge amount of potential being squandered because of confusion and disorganization that you it just hits you like a ton of bricks and that's when I really woke up when she was when my second daughter was identified at 14. I think I as a man maybe I'm less sensitive I'm less aware less intuitive and so I needed something actually what happened was my wife had cancer at the time and I had to become the carer of my wife and I had to look after the house, do the cooking, look after the hospital visits, go into emergency mode, look after the kids, look after a chronically ill child as well. So I was in sort of mothering mode. And that's when we discovered my daughter was dyslexic. And that's when I realized, I looked around and I said, oh, we'll just leave it to the school. And then we realized <laughs> the school's not going to do anything about this. And I thought, well, Joe will deal with it. And I'm like, Joe's in hospital, <laughs> you know? And then I, I was kind of looking to who will deal with this. And I was like, I looked at my daughter in that kitchen when she had her exam results for her mock exams. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's going to have to be me. And that's when I actually had to confront it. So I had to kind of be forced by circumstances into doing something about this. And actually, I would have abdicated all responsibility quite happily to school, to Joe, to anyone else, and let myself get on with my own life. And uh, it's a terrible admission to make, but that is the, the truth of the matter. I was forced into confronting it. Yeah, I think that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> You know, because my husband is supportive and he gets it and he really got it after we went to a dyslexia conference. But, you know, I'm still doing most of the grunt work. And, and the, it's a weird, morbid thought, but it's like if I get sick during COVID, I need to make sure he knows everything. You know, our resources, our people, what we're doing. <laughs> I've got to put that down in a roadmap for somebody because if something happens to me, you know, not everyone else other people don't know what works for him like I do so yeah. just a, a strange thought to be having but yeah bad things happen and that's what actually made me step into the breach and become a, a reluctant contributor to this whole journey and actually it was a huge eye-opener and I'm so thankful for it you know although it caused my daughter a lot of pain to not be identified till she didn't actually get identified till she was 18 because that's a whole nother story. She went to a psychologist who told her she wasn't dyslexic but didn't do the full test. She was so good at covering up 
that when she went to a full educational psychologist that was much more experienced and uh, better trained and did uh, a better assessment, full full IQ analysis, not just an external analysis, but an internal IQ analysis. Boy, she's twice as dyslexic as me in, in numerical terms. She's like majorly dyslexic. And I just could not believe it. I was like, how on earth did you do so well in your exams? <laughs> you know? And, uh, well, she got coached by a very good mind mapping coach. I hear, no, it wasn't me. It, it was definitely her brute force and determination with a sprinkling of uh, exam technique from me. Rebecca, do you want to share anything? No, I just, I love hearing people's stories. So I just was enjoying listening and uh, taking some notes as I went to keep my brain focused. I find that I have to write things down or I just go off into a wonderland and then I'm like, oh, wait, I missed something. <laughs> so. so Helen asked, Helen is a parent who's asking, what one piece of advice would you give yourself immediately after your own assessment? If you could go back in time, what one piece of advice would you go back and give yourself? One bit of advice. I think I think I would say, <clears throat> Darius, seriously, take this seriously. Take this seriously. Because if I'm honest with myself, I didn't take it seriously. It was like going and getting my Myers-Briggs test or some sort of quiz done. And oh, that's fascinating. How interesting that is. I am actually a bit dyslexic. That explains a lot in my past. You know, it felt like it explained a lot in my past. And Janet shared uh, a f those three little tips, you know, and they were nice, nice little tips, you know, nice lady sharing some nice little tips. She didn't sit down and explain them to me. She didn't have the time, but she did plant those seeds. Now, if I could go back and have give myself one talking to, I wouldn't give myself a bit of advice. I give myself some to a talking to. I take myself by the scruff of the neck. I'd look myself in the eye and I would say, Darius, this has troubled you all your life for the last 35 years and it's still troubling you right now. And if you don't sort this out, you're going to constantly undermine yourself, constantly trip yourself up, constantly have unfinished projects that you never finish, constantly fail uh, to achieve your full potential. Take this seriously now, please, for the sake of your degree for the sake of your future children and for the sake of the children you have a million children to help right now start right now rather than 15 years time which is what I ended up doing so I would say I'd be 10 years ahead I think I could have done a bigger impact by now so I would give myself a good talking to and say take this seriously next question as I'm hearing your story I'm thinking of several things so I get great ideas, but I get bored with them before I follow through. I read very slowly. So like I was reading a book about like taking an hour out of your morning before you start your day to do some reading, do some writing, do some exercising, do some visualizing. And the, the person writing the book said, take 10 minutes and read 10 pages. And I thought to myself, there is no way that I get through 10 pages in 10 minutes. I get through maybe two or three pages in 10 minutes, if that. And I'm very meticulous and I remember what I read, but I don't read quickly, which is, has always been frustrating my whole life because I look around and there's people who are just blasting through pages. And here I am just slowly making my way like the tortoise and the hare. And then what Deb was saying about wasting time and lacking focus if she's not taking notes. And I'm, I'm noticing places all over where it's like hours out of my day are just lost to interruptions and things that distract me before I ever get things finished, which is also frustrating because I I tend to be a very efficient, energetic person, but I'm noticing that I'm getting slowed down by those things that get in my way. And then the other thing I noticed too is with my son sometimes I don't know that he's concentrating and I'll walk in and it's like why aren't you doing your thing and I'll ask him a question and he just gets totally frustrated and I've realized a lot of those times when he's in those moments he's actually trying to process something and if he's pro he's probably dyslexic and if his processing is slower that question just throws him for a loop so 
I mean, I don't think I'm dyslexic, but then as I'm processing through this, I'm wondering, oh boy, are there some, is, is there a little of this in me myself? Like, I'm, I guess I'm realizing that there's a lot of pieces, whether it's me or whether it's him, that either maybe it could be indicative of dyslexia or just slower processing. And how do we pick those things out and work on those things systematically so that we aren't ignoring those things. That's kind of where I'm going with that. Okay, so I think my advice to you would be, if you think your child's dyslexic, sell your car if you need to and get them a dyslexia test, you know? You know, if you even suspect it, go and get a dyslexia assessment. Just go do it. Do it next week, you know? Like, it is the most important thing you can do for your child right now. If you suspect your child might have dyslexia, go give them a dyslexia test. If you suspect you might have dyslexia, I'm not saying go get a dyslexia test. You, it, it, it would be nice, but it's absolutely essential. And I don't mean the school's dyslexia test, no. I mean a proper educational psychologist that costs an arm and a leg like $500 assessment. One where they measure their IQ and you get a number. One where they measure their working memory and you get a number. Not, oh, I can see this and I can see some of this and I can see some traits of this. No, no, not that. A real number. And if they're not going to give you a real number and they say, oh no, we don't do it that way, walk away and go to someone who will give you a number. And once you have that number and you know inside your child has an IQ of 135 and their processing speed is 112 and their working memory is 98, you're like, oh my goodness, I really have to concentrate on the working memory. Now, my daughter got some results like that, not those numbers, but some results like that. And there was a disparity between her intelligence and her slow processing. And the reason I came up with that analogy of the manual car and the automatic car was because I had to find a way just to explain to her that she wasn't stupid. You know, like she feels stupid when she can't do certain things when she tries really hard, and when we sometimes laugh at her, I have to confess. So sometimes humor's, you know, useful. You laugh at yourself, be lighthearted and not be too, you know, serious. You know, a little bit of dyslexic humor in the home is, is, is fair game. But when she found her intelligence level, and then her working memory level, and her processing speed, we realized your working memory is very low. Your processing is very, very low. How do you explain to a child that slow processing doesn't mean you're a slow thinker? Because it's not actually slow processing. It's manual processing. It's intentional processing. It's the gearbox of your brain, not the engine. And once you realize you're a manual processor, once you realize what the actual problem is, you can do stuff about it. If you don't know the problem, maybe it's ADHD, maybe it's something else. Maybe There might be other things that the educational psychologist says, you thought it was dyslexia, but actually it's this, you know? Maybe it is, and that's good. You found out what the real challenge is and how to target real solutions to it. So I would say, Ada, and I know money can be tight, but that would be my advice. Yeah, and we've got that in the works um, this July. We've got a date. It's, the waiting list is so incredibly long. It is. We do have a... Fantastic. Yeah. And I, I look forward to you sharing maybe the results with me privately and Sometimes it takes a little bit of decoding of a dyslexia assessment. It can be like 20 pages long. You give a 20-page document to a dyslexic person and you expect them to understand what the heck it means, you know? 
There isn't like a video that goes with it or an instruction manual with all these words, which is one of the reasons why at Bullet Map Academy we try and break down these concepts so that you don't just understand, oh, there's a problem. You understand what's the nature of the problem. If I can understand the principle, I can extrapolate some solutions of my own or at least judge if those solutions are worthy of trying to solve that problem. And that's the value of getting an assessment. I'm saying that very uh, directly towards you, Ada. I know I'm not pointing it towards you. I'm saying it to all those others, thousands of people who will be listening to this in the future and then wondering, should I, shouldn't I? If it's your child, there is no yes or no. Just go yes. Even if you have to sell something really valuable to do it, it will be one of the best investments you make in your life, in your child's future and in your own because the grief it saves you is incredible well i think it's almost comforting to find out that there is something underlying when you're dealing with a child that it has a brain difference because you're hitting your head against the wall of trying to help the child and why isn't this working why isn't that working then to find out that it's symptomatic of something and okay now we've got a place to start a conversation of how we give resolutions and solutions yeah. um, that changes the, the landscape entirely. I mean, I get kids coming into Bullet Map Academy, okay? Now, at Bullet Map Academy, all we do is spend an hour a week with them, half an hour a week with them. That's all we do. But there are some children who have found it so hard to do a reading comprehension, for example, for, say, three years, and they sit down for two lessons, two half hours, and they've comprehended the same text that they've not been able to comprehend before. They've un you see, what happens is dyslexic children read everything, understand everything in the story, but when it comes to doing the comprehension questions, what can you remember? Blank. Yeah? And it's, it's classic. We've all done it. If you're dyslexic, you've all done it. And if you are doing that, then you're probably dyslexic, by the way. But we sit them down and we show them one little technique that's ludicrously simple, but we just make them do it, okay? Underlining some key words. And then they remember the story. You've got to do it in a certain way, but they remember the story. But that's an example of identifying what's the actual problem and where's a realistic solution. And, and what's staggering is how much harm a lack of understanding of dyslexia can do to a child if you're a parent or if you're an educator. If you don't understand your child's mind, if you don't become a student of your child, like you say, Ada, then you can do immense harm. And that's a strong word, but you, there's a lot of dyslexic people in this world who are wounded to the quick, you know? And I, you, I highly recommend you watch that podcast, listen to that podcast of the dyslexic dentist, okay? I can't believe it. I still can't believe it. When he's, I asked him, now I, he's my own dentist and he's a childhood friend and he's one of the most intelligent people I know in the world, okay? I said, before the test, I said, so how, how do you feel about your kind of intelligence? I can't remember how I, 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 met, I said it in the podcast, but he said, you know, Darius, I still think I'm stupid, you know? I'm like, no way. Really? And he's like, to be honest with you, yes, I do. And I said, but you've won all these awards as a dentist. You, you, you're, you, you teach people, you, you, all these things. Are they not like evidence that you're intelligent? He's like, well, maybe, but I don't feel intelligent. I still feel like that stupid child in school who's 16 and is having to reset his English exam again and again and again to try and scrape by to get into university. I still feel like I didn't really deserve to be there in that degree course with the other people. And you look at other people with dyslexia, and that's the same story with all of us. I don't deserve to be here. I, I you know, and, and in a way, I have to, this is maybe airing on, we should maybe talk about this another time, but accommodations extra time and all of these accommodations, sometimes they can have a, 
a negative effect on the child with dyslexia. You'll see the child say, no, I don't want them. And, you know, a lot of parents get really confused. You know, I fought really hard to get your dyslexia acknowledged. I fought really, I spent a lot of money to get you to the stage where you can get some extra time in your class or some notes or some accommodation for your teacher. And then you come home from school and you say, oh, I didn't use the extra time. I didn't use that extra accommodation. Why? There's a complex reasons why. But one of the reasons why is they need to prove to themselves that they deserve that mark. And a lot of people with dyslexia feel, I don't deserve to be in this university course. I don't deserve to be regarded as intelligent because I'm not. I'm actually stupid. I can relate to that a little bit. <laughs> and this is a big deal. You know, I mean, you speak to CEOs. You speak to all sorts of high-flying people that are proving some excellence. Often they're dyslexic and behind it they feel an unresolved inadequacy that when they discover more of who they are, that starts to resolve. It can take five years, ten years to fully resolve, but it does resolve. I am now confident with my level of intelligence. I am now confident that I, I, it's a duty on me to do certain things with my abilities and a duty on me to do certain things with my inabilities. You know, like if I'm not good at something, I don't make an excuse. I make a solution. I delegate it to someone. I find a process. I find a system. I find a solution that isn't necessarily in my brain. It's outside of me. We, we have to do this. We have to take full responsibility for our capabilities and our inabilities, whether we're dyslexic or not. But with dyslexia, it comes with a, a, a new set of uh, inabilities and abilities. Is there anyone still listening to this on Facebook? Oh, Raj, great question. So Raj is asking, uh, a parent Raj is asking, do you have a phrase that you say to children when they're frustrated? Is that correct? I do. I have two phrases. Well, one phrase is slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And I learned that from a sniper movie. <laughs> I really like that sniper movie. This sniper was world-class sniper and he kept saying slow is smooth, smooth is fast. What happened was he would move really slowly. He would respond to instructions r much slower than he could because what was important to him was moving smoothly because when he was smooth, he ended up being fast. And as a result, he was the fastest sniper because he was smooth. But he had to move slow to become smooth. And that's often one of the key things when it comes to dealing with dyslexia. Because dyslexia involves processing. Processing involves going through the gears of a maneuver, like a car. First gear, second gear, up to fifth gear. You have to go through the gears. You can't rush it. You have to do it smoothly. You can do it fast, but you have to do it smooth first. If you don't do it smooth, you judder, you jump, and in the end you rush it, but you go slow. So the opposite of it, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. The opposite of that phrase is fast is rushed and rushed is slow. Yeah? Or you could say rushed is rough and rough is slow. And so there's a lot of dyslexic children who are very frustrated trying to rush their way through something and actually it's taking forever. If they slowed down and allowed themselves to go smoothly through the process, they would become fast. The other phrase I would use, we'll use that for another time, but I think slow is smooth, smooth is fast is enough for today. Any other questions? Any requests for another podcast? You want to see, you want to hear episode number two of the, of this uh, chronicle <laughs> at some point in the future? <laughs> okay, well, how long have I been talking? An hour and five minutes. Okay. Is there someone, are there people still watching this on Facebook, Zeus? Yeah. Yeah, we have six. 
Thank you. Well done. <laughs> That's a big feat watching it for that long on Facebook. On a podcast, it's different. I highly recommend getting yourself into podcasts and adding Dyslexia Explored into one of your podcasts. It's a really great way of feeding your mind uh, with information that actually gets into your mind. So on that note, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you want to know more, go to bulletmapacademy.com forward slash well, just go to bulletmapacademy.com. Have a look around what we do to help children. I haven't got it all organized yet in my head. I might re-record this. But hope you enjoyed this podcast. I'll see you next time. Bye. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com. It's my day job when I'm not hosting this podcast. Tell me. Do you know what you want to achieve in the workplace, but you're struggling with how to achieve it? Maybe you suspect some traits of dyslexia are getting in the way. Well, that's where dyslexia productivity coaching comes in because we give you a simple productivity system for your Apple devices that harnesses the creativity that comes with your dyslexia. It includes proven methods like note-taking, reminders, speech-to-text, mind mapping, and more, all tailored to your needs. It'll free up your time and help you achieve outstanding results. Book a complimentary call to discuss it with me. And if you do it soon, I may also be available to coach you personally via Zoom. So don't be shy. Go to dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com or swipe up and book it now.